Hi, this is Dion Bake from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, episode 84. And welcome to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you break through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake, and here with me is Sandy McKay. Hey, uh, what's up? Not a whole lot. I don't know. Excited. I'm cold. You can tell. You're cold. Yeah, you're wearing a sweater. You guys, you guys, uh, I don't know. What are you afraid of? Some heating bills in the office or what? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I just got some, uh, from 30 degree weather the other day. So I'm a bit, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm still you get back. chilly back. a lot easier. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. Well, almost, there, almost into the hot spring, uh, hot spring real estate market. So things are looking up. And the hot spring. Looking yes. forward to that too. Yes, exactly. I'm going away in a week, so I'm looking forward to some warm weather because, man, it has been pretty crappy around here lately. I know. Yeah, tough winter for uh, weather, for sure. Not for real estate. I've been pretty active around everywhere, I think. Yeah, it's been good. Day. Yeah, yeah I, I, I had a great winter, actually. So, um, you know what, though? Everybody listening, uh, we suggest that you go over to BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca and there you can see all the episodes. All the episodes are on iTunes, but all of the episodes are on our website. So go over there, breakthroughreipodcast.ca, and you can download each and every one of the episodes that Sandy and I have ever released. And I, I know that, you know, you would probably want to do that. So go check that out. And what else, Sandy? Definitely go grab our free report there, the ultimate strategy for building wealth through real estate and uh, something there you can pick up for free, get on our email list. We are sending out notifications now of every episode that comes out. I know we've said we've been doing that for a while and we've kind of hit and miss with it. We're, we're all over that now and everything's getting sent out. So if you want to just be reminded very easily about every episode that comes out, get on our email list, you'll be notified and catch some of our events we got coming up and all sorts of things like that. Um, so do that and get a free report at the same time. Well worth it. Yeah, and you can comment on each and every one of the episodes. If you, if there's something you enjoy, something we missed, something that you would like to hear us speak about, uh, a guest you would like us to have on, anything like that, go on over and you can leave a comment in the forum and we will be sure to look into those and see if we can get some uh, new and interesting guests on and also answer any questions that you might have. Um, I know that people have been talking about how they, they feel that we only focus on the positive. I feel that we, we talk about um, obstacles and how people have overcome them. But today we're going we're gonna to talk a little more about that too. So I, I do think that's important. I mean, it's not like everything is just, um, 
you know, peaches and cream. I think we had one guest and I can't remember who it was, but I said, was there anything like any challenges you run, run into? And they said, no, nope, none. Can't think of any. Um, I can't remember who it was, but so, you know, maybe in extreme cases, we've had 80 some episodes now. So that's one out of, let's say 80 guests that hasn't run into any problems. So let's say, hopefully you're one of those one out of 80 uh, people that never run into any problems. But for those of you that do, we're, we're trying to um, field some of those uh, obstacles more and uh, help you find ways in, around, through, or over them. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, maybe they want to go listen to that one episode because it sounds like that person might have known what they're doing. Yeah. More than, yeah. More than the rest. But for everyone else, tons of, tons of failures, tons of obstacles. That's kind of part of real estate. And uh, hopefully listening to these shows, you can uh, learn how to, yeah, like you said, overcome them a little bit easy, easier and not have to worry about some of the mistakes that us and, and our guests have gone through. Um, well, do we have any reviews or anything to, to go through? Or are we... You know what? I'm not going to do the reviews yeah. today. I'll do them next time. But uh, but we do appreciate everyone that goes over to iTunes and leaves us a review. We uh, obviously like the five-star ones more than the other ones. But you know what? Be honest. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think. And we'll read them all on, regardless. Uh, we can learn from the ones that maybe aren't necessarily as positive as the others. And um, But, you know, these these reviews do help us get out there to a wider audience. And we do appreciate everyone that has went and taken the time to leave one. So um, again, that's just go to uh, Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. We'd appreciate that. But uh, I guess that's it for our housekeeping. Sandy, do you have anything else you want to add? No, nope, we're good to go. Let's, okay. get into, let's get into the interview. Sorry, it skipped there for a sec. But let's get into the interview here with, uh, with our guest, our award-winning guest, uh, Tom Sullivan. He's been standing by here and welcome to the show, Tom. Thank you for having me, guys. Uh, it's a hey. pleasure being here. Yeah, Tom, thanks for taking the time to come on the show. I appreciate it. So I'll, I'll start off with a quick little intro to Tom. And Tom's an award-winning real estate investor, uh, investor and entrepreneur. And he was actually the Rain 2015 Rookie of the Year. Um, so he's had some great success already. And providing beautiful homes and beautiful neighborhoods. He helps assist people to rebuild their credit and become homeowners. And uh, there's a lot of educating and partnering with investors to help build wealth with them and achieve short and long-term goals. So um, lots of exciting stuff in Tom's world of real estate. I'm sure he's got some failures to, to go through with us and uh, hopefully some successes as well. He's definitely got some successes, 2015 Rain Rookie of the Year. So he's done well. And again, welcome. Anything to add to, to that, Tom? Um, actually, the same year I was at the, the top uh, award winner at Rain. I've uh, won a few regional awards, but uh, real estate investing is not about winning awards. It's actually about achieving goals and obtaining financial freedom. The, the awards are just a bonus of receiving and showing that uh, you've done something to achieve it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's exactly. Like you didn't get them for just sitting there. You got them because you went out, you took action, you achieved your goals. And then someone else was nice enough to recognize, you know, that hard work and effort that you put into it. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, thanks again for being here, Tom. Now, we know like you have a good career because I know you personally and um, you're doing really well financially before you even started investing. Why did you start investing in real estate? Well, working in the corporate world, nobody has a safe job. Uh, no one has a safe job anywhere. I've been with my company for 20 plus years. Three months into my job, we start laying off. 
uh, initially had over 100,000 employees with the company I worked for. That went down to 35,000. So we've been laying people off for the last 20 years. So at any given day, I could lose my job. So having a job in the corporate industry in the world doesn't guarantee you to any stability. Real estate investing, you can take control of your destiny. So I've always had a passion for it and I'm always want to get involved into real estate and taking control of my life, not letting somebody else dictate what my life is going to be like. See, I love that. This is what, this is what we're talking about with the motivational uh, aspect, right? Because that, I mean, what, what, what else could motivate you more than just being able to control your own life? Right. So, Exactly. And also in 2013, I had a serious medical issue that really made me get off my butt and take real estate investing important. They found a tumor in my sinus that broke into the brain cavity and I was off work for six months. That could have been a disability issue. I bounced back. But at that time, that's when I said, you know what, I really got to take my, my freedom and my financial wealth into my own hands. Because I don't mm-hmm. know if anything that, that could happen again. That's fantastic. Obviously, we're glad to see that you've uh, bounced back, like you said, so that's great now. Um, let's talk about the types of property that you invest in. So what type, what type of property are you looking for and what are you investing? So I've done almost every type of property out there except outside of commercial and large uh, mixed commercial but I specialize in trying to find single family homes that can be converted into a legal two family property. The government came out with the wanting every city to have the ability for each individual house to have two legal units within it. So that's what I, I concentrate on for two reasons is for the cash flow and I can get forced appreciation in that property. And that way I can pull out the most of my capital back out of there and I can rinse and repeat because eventually you will run out of capital if you try to just buy everything at the regular standard 20% and never get any kind of appreciation on that property. Yeah, that's fantastic. And what you're referring to there is Ontario Bill 140, which, uh, which mandates all of the, I guess, municipalities across Ontario to uh, to allow second allow provisions for second units, and it's not all the same. They're different through every municipality, but at least they've taken the these um, the the fact that you know affordable housing is needed and and expanded and allowed for this type of thing, which in turn gives great opportunities for us as real estate investors in Ontario. I'm not sure what the regulations are in other provinces. Uh, I don't know. Do you know, Tom? Uh, no, because like I, I'm primarily concentrate in uh, the Durham region of Ontario uh, when I'm looking for my properties. I have gone as far out to Quebec and I've gone pretty far east in Ontario as well. But I do try to keep most of my properties in my own backyard so it's easy to maintain and, and watch over them. Now, again, I know it's not about numbers, but uh, <clears throat> how, how many properties do you have currently? Up to last week, I was back to 16, but I bought uh, number 17 and number 18 last week. Oh, really? So, That's so my goal is to get back up, back up into the 20s, uh, where I was a couple of years ago, because like I mentioned, I've, I've done different types of real estate. So in the past, I did some ones called rent-to-own. So those short-term investments, 
they came and went. So I've sold them back off. So my portfolio reduced, but now I'm concentrating more on the buy and hold. If the right rent to own opportunity comes available, I'll jump on it again. Mm -hmm. How many rent to owns do you have right now? At right now, I finished all of them last year, but I at the peak I had six on the go. Okay, okay. So you're into buy and hold strictly right now. Yes, I am in the process of talking to one client right now that might go into a rent to own next week. I mean uh, next month. Okay, good stuff. Tom, how do you find your deals? Uh, mostly, I deal with uh, real estate um, agents such as Rob, and I have a few other ones out here. Uh, anytime I buy a property as well, I make sure everyone on that street uh, for at least 10 homes down on both sides of the street that I buy real estate. That way, if they are thinking about selling, if they reach out to me and I buy it, I give them a hundred, I mean, a $1,000 referral fee, or if they... Uh, bring me up to someone else that's going to be willing to sell privately, they get a $1,000 referral fee. So it's a combination of using multiple agents and beating the street, uh, mm -hmm. walking around, making sure it's trying to find the deal off market. Okay, good stuff. What's that? What's that look like? So are you just knocking on their doors and presenting them with like some sort of a, any, a document or something? Or are you just kind of giving them a heads up that you're eager to buy and that to keep their ears open? And well, it, it's, a, it's twofold. So when I buy a new property and I take possession of it, I'm introducing myself as the owner of the property. So if they see anything going on, they have my contact information to let me know that something's going on at my property that I might want to address and also to let them know I'm always actively looking to buy and I'm willing to buy your property at the right price. So it's twofold. So I'm, I'm getting, I'm hitting two birds with one stone because they're looking after my property in one sense. They know I'm going to maintain it because I wouldn't be giving them my, my contact information if I wasn't willing to let them know where I, how to reach me. And I might run into a lead and over half my purchases are private. That's what I was just going to ask you. So half of them um, were off of MLS. Half are off MLS and half are private. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, did, did you, just curious, did you come up with that strategy? Because, you know, we do, we do similar to knock on the neighbors and stuff. Just mainly we do it, we started doing that because of um, just to make sure that the, they're coming to us first with any issues. Did you have any did you come up with that strategy based on of someone else doing that and learning, or did you actually have a, a situation that you, you said, I better start doing this? Actually, I, I did it from day one. I, yeah. I don't know where, I'm sure someone, I've, I heard it from one of the meetups I've, I've gone to, or one of the different real estate groups I've joined. I, I can't remember exactly where and when I started it, but it's been a habit almost from day one. Yeah, good habit to be in. Yeah, that's good advice. And I mean, like, not every time is there going to be someone that runs up to you and goes, Oh, yeah, I can get you this fantastic deal. Um, you know, sometimes it's going to be someone just saying, Yeah, yeah, I'd be willing to sell you my house for twice as much as what it's worth or something. But, you know, again, it's, it's, um, you're never going to find it unless you put it out there, I guess, right? Exactly. If you don't ask, you're never going to get. Like I, I've bought uh, properties while I'm standing in the lineup at Costco. Oh yeah. How does that, how did that go? So like, I, I love talking about real estate. I'm an accountant by trade and you think most accountants are introverts and, and most of them are, 
but I'm the opposite. I, I like to talk about real estate. I'm always talking about it wherever I go. I'm at Costco a lot because a lot of my properties are in that area. So I'm buying products from Costco. If I'm in the lineup and I'll be talking to someone and somehow real estate came, uh, came up with this one gentleman and he said he's looking at selling his place. And I said, how much are you asking? I said, okay, I'll, let's go look at it. If it meets exactly what you said, I'll buy it. And we went over to the house and we bought it that day. <laughs> uh, that's a good story. I like those kind of things. So um, we mentioned that you got an award in 2015 for Rookie of the Year. Um, there's got to be a story leading up to that, though. So how much learning did you do before you actually took action and bought your first property, which led to that? So my first property I bought back in early 2000 in Hamilton. I've always been interested in, in real estate, especially I'm a night owl. And I'm sure that everybody saw the old commercials from Tommy Vu and Charlton Sheets, all the American gurus of making real estate investing so easy. Well, those principles really don't work in Canada, but that sparked my interest at a young age. So I always knew I wanted to do some type of real estate investing. Even when I was going to school and I was gonna do my MBA, I did my MBA, I was gonna to go to Simon Fraser because there was a professor out there that taught real estate. Unfortunately, he retired the year I started my MBA, so I decided to go to St. Mary's, where I was on, on a full scholarship instead of going out to Simon Fraser in British Columbia. So my first one I, that I bought, I don't think I really had a lot of experience. Like I, I kind of just jumped in saying, I'm more of an action taker. I, I have taken a lot of education and I still do education today, but I like more of hands-on learning and learning when I'm going out with other investors. Um, I bought a bunch of books on real estate, but I, I really hate reading. I love doing, listening to podcasts and watching training videos. That's where I learn best uh, visually than just reading. So then just to follow up on that. So you, you were mentioning that you were at a certain point where you thought, okay, well, I could be laid off any time now, like any one of any number of these uh, other people at my company, I'm going to try to find something else that I can fall back on. So um, what was that search like for real estate? How did that fall into your lap? So, um, so I had at that time, I had some properties in Hamilton, but I actually, before I even had the, the, tumor in the skull, I actually was having seizures. So I had to sell all my properties in Hamilton because I was living in Whitby at the time. So I couldn't get any uh, property managers to look after the properties that I had in Hamilton because I purposely bought in a district that most people would want to want to buy in, which is down by the steel mill. So a lot of property managers didn't want to go in there. So I ended up selling them. And then when I got sick a second time with the, the tumor, I started going, okay, let's look in the Durham region. I actually signed up with an agent and I signed the buyer's representation. My first mistake, I realized something not to do until you have an agent that knows exactly what you're looking for. So this person wasted a good six months of my time because he had locked me in for six months and he was showing me nothing that made cash flow. And I'm going, why doesn't anything make cash flow out here? It wasn't until I went to a few meetups in the local area, I figured how to actually make cash flow in Oshawa. Okay. And that, uh, that was actually, you were one of the ones I met. 
uh, it was you and uh, the person that you should work with. <laughs> you can say it. That's all right. <laughs> uh, uh, Mike okay. Dominguez. Yeah. So I, I was part of Rain, and I met Mike at Rain, uh, known as Mr. Durham, and he showed me how uh, more about uh, the legalization process of two-unit properties in Oshawa, and I set a target that I would buy. Uh, 10 properties in that year, and that was in March, and I bought 11 that year. Wow. But it, I, I don't even know why I picked the number. I just said, I just looked at it from an accounting point of view, and looking at it as a real estate, as a snowball. Every rotation, it gets bigger. But if you can start with a larger snowball, your snowman's gonna get done a lot faster. So I said, I'm gonna go at this, let's go at it hard, hard but calculated and that's what I said I'm just gonna buy one after another and that's exactly how it happened I was like I set that target of 10 I said okay let's try and get one a month and it worked out and we had 11 by the time I was Perfect. done incredible that's good to hear of those 11 I guess how many of those were rent owns four of them I believe and actually even before I bought that I did a, another rent to own where I joint ventured with a person. Uh, that was a big learning mistake. Uh, I found out everything that you don't want to do in a joint venture. Well, since we're talking about uh, roadblocks and, and maybe things that didn't go so well, let's, do you mind, can we dive into that? No problem. Uh, so in, in this joint venture, I was actually doing the mortgage qualification. Uh, it, was a, it was a rent to own. The, the JV partner was also bringing in capital from another joint venture. And when it was all over and done with the main person that put the entire deal went together, he didn't follow through with everything that he was supposed to do. And not everyone was paid the, the money that they were supposed to get paid. So at that point I said, going forward, if I ever do another joint venture, I'm making sure that I'm gonna be the real estate expert and I take control of my deal because I never want, again, I felt helpless in the sense that I'm being dictated by a boss saying, what's my worth? And if they decide not to pay me or follow through, there's not a lot I could do. So that, at that point I said, I will never do that again. And there, something fell through on that part. So when you're always looking at a joint venture partner, you should be wondering, what is that person like not on their best day, but on their worst day. And on the worst day, is that someone that you wanna be dealing with? Because the joint venture is not a short-term uh, relationship, it's a long-term, especially in my industry, where I'm looking at just doing buy and hold for the long-term. I'm not mm -hmm. looking to sell anything for the first 10 to 15 years. So the change that you made was in your original uh, joint venture structure that you had on this particular deal, you were basically a qualification partner. You didn't get a say in any anything more really than that. They just said, thank you, here's your cut of it. We don't want your opinion on any of the rest of the, uh, on anything else that's going on in the property. Exactly. Okay. <clears throat> and I think that'll resonate with a lot of people that are listening to this too, because I would say the majority of them are the ones that are looking to be the expert partner the one bringing value through uh, renovations or finding deals or something like that. So Exactly, exactly. And a lot of people 
don't realize the value that a, the real estate expert brings into the deal. Because uh, you can always put a value on qualification, a value on money, but having all that soft knowledge, or soft, you can even consider it hard, hard knowledge of how to do the renovation, how to find the property, how to actually manage the deal, how to find the contractors, how to set up who's going to be doing the accounting or having an accountant, the lawyers, bringing that all together is extremely valuable. And a lot of people don't realize how valuable that is. I was speaking to a lady last night and she's trying to put a joint venture together with another couple. And she was wondering how to break it down. And I asked all of those exact same questions. And she said, you just gave me a lot more homework to do. I'm like, well, that, that, this is why the real estate expert is so valuable because they're bringing all the things that you can't even possibly think about when you're first joining, doing a, buying real estate. Like when you're buying it on your own, you got two things, mortgage qualification and finding the capital. After that, you can farm everything else out. Farm your, the lawyer out, farm the accounting out, farm out the property management. But now when you're doing a joint venture, who's doing what? You're still going to farm out anything that you're not a specialist at. And they didn't even consider any of that. And she was, going, and she was her eyes were opened wide after I had probably a, a five minute discussion with her. And I, and I do that free of charge. Like I love helping people out because somebody else helped me out along the way and I'm just trying to pay it forward. Mm -hmm. And you're pretty active on Facebook and other forums too with that kind of stuff. I noticed that you give a lot of answers uh, for the questions that people have. Yeah, actually this came off of Facebook. She PM me directly from Facebook and I've answered her questions multiple times and she's getting closer to getting down to nailing down a deal, but she still had a lot more uh, uh, questions to be answered. You know, I don't think we're doing any of the questions that we had actually originally, uh, <laughs> that we had originally planned to ask, but uh, I have one more that's, that's off topic here. How did you build your confidence enough to be able to um, present yourself as the JV expert that you knew what value you were bringing? Actually, the, the first time I did like a, a first major JV outside of the, the one that went bad was I was on a tour and I was looking at the properties and two of us wanted the same property. And I said, you know what, instead of bidding against each other, let's just buy it together. And the two of us learned a lot of it together. So from that point on, I was able to build my confidence because we bought a few more and then I branched out because now I had eight properties, 10 properties under my belt. So I felt confident. I know exactly what I need to do to make a deal work. And it's just trial and error. You're going to go out there and just asking someone for money. You probably the first 10 times or a hundred times, you're going to get no, but you know what? Each one of those no's is one step closer to a yes. Mm -hmm. And each no, you, you learn going, what did you do wrong? And right. You can't, you, you can't really convince people to do something that they don't want to do, especially in real estate. If you're going to convince someone to get into real estate, I think you're barking up the wrong, the, the wrong tree. You present them what you're doing, and if they get interested in it, that's how you actually bring someone in as a joint venture partner. And I, I, 
I said the, the wrong word. You're not really supposed to use the word partner. Everybody does, but from a CR point of view, if they see the word partner as a completely different accounting and taxation system than just doing a regular joint venture. So just a little piece of knowledge. But everyone does, everybody says the word partner. It's just you can't say that when you're talking to CRA. Yeah, and everyone says joint venture too. It's actually really a, a co-venture. Joint venture is something different as well. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't. Not that we need to get too technical about those kind of things on <laughs> yeah. here, but yeah. Uh, thanks, Tom. Uh, thanks for allowing us to sort of veer off in this direction and and share some of that stuff with us. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, it was great. Were there any other um, any other challenges that were big starting out or? I'm sure there were some for sure, but any other big ones that stick out in your mind? Oh, the biggest one is finding qualified uh, quality contractors and keeping them active so you can keep them on your roster. And that's uh, learning to interview your contractors is extremely important and doing your due diligence with them. So at the beginning, I did a lot of the, the renovation myself, not all of it, just enough so I could learn exactly what I wanted to be able to tell the contractor I want it done. So it's getting the knowledge and then going, saying, this is exactly what I want. Because I, I found contractors and when I had the inspector come in, it's done wrong. And I'm going, and then I noticed that it's done wrong too. I, I saw some two by fours, they weren't even attached. Like there was a good inch from the floor. They were just hanging from the top header so like if you don't know what to look for you're going to get a lot of bad contractors so that was one of my challenges and i still so think that's a challenge really bad contractors yeah I, I think that's still a challenge today is finding quality contractors that can stay on page because every day is money like especially when you're doing the renovations it's you got to keep that keep on the toes yeah you know what, I would agree with you in that that's probably the most difficult. And um, not only like the way that you find them is through trial and error, like you said, and if, you, if you've got the wrong one on your job, that can be really tough too. Um, I've had to let them go. And it's sometimes hard to figure out when that time is. Like, are you at the point where they need to be let go? You'll know. But oftentimes you'll let it go for a little while longer, um, you know, talk to them, explain to them that you're expecting things to turn around or whatnot. And, and the can gets kicked down the road until eventually there's a point where you say, okay, now there, there's just nothing that can be done about this. Unfortunately, things aren't working out here and it's time for me to move on and get somebody else. And that next one, you know, it's hard to say whether or not they're going to be great too. So it is definitely a trial and error and definitely very hard to uh, keep. That's why when you find them, like Tom said, keep them, keep them busy if you can. Yeah. Cause I found a lot of contractors don't like to come back in and fix other people's work. They almost want to rip it all out and start again. And like you said, you got to figure out when is the right time to cut your loss because it could be months into the project and you're finally going to cut it and you might not have another contractor lined up for another month or two. And then they're going to want to start from scratch. Mm -hmm. so you you got to try and figure that if they're going to be work out almost at the beginning, like the first week or two, because after that, like you need to be able to cut your loss right away. 
Hire slow, fire fast, right? Especially with those, with, the, with that trade, with that uh, business. Exactly. And uh, when you find your house, like I, like I said, I mentioned I bought two last week. I have the architect going in already and we're going to have the permits to start working before we even take possession of the home. And I'm going to have my contractors lined up to start going right away. Yeah, good stuff. That's good advice too. Get everything lined up for when you take possession of the place. Although we've done that before, even Sandy, some that we worked on together had everything lined up for, you know, bins to be delivered and that kind of thing. And then the closing doesn't happen that day and you're scrambling to cancel and move stuff around. So it's always a scramble. It's always fun. <laughs> oh, it's never, nothing ever goes exactly as planned. And so you got to be able to think on your feet. Mm -hmm. And that's what I like about my job that I actually have that opportunity that I, I work from home, but if I have to run out, I can run out and go look at one of my projects. Or I, I try to go there first thing in the morning and make sure everybody, they know what they need to do that day. And then I'll go back at the end of the, sh the shift to make sure everything that was done on top time and we make the new list for the next day. Okay, that's great. Um, well, so we've been talking a lot about contractors. So obviously your deals, uh, adding second suites to houses, that takes a lot of renovations. Do you do any of the work yourself? I did at the beginning and I'll still do it if the contractor is behind or if they're going to, if, if I have to let a contractor go, I have no issue getting in there and swinging a hammer. I actually, I love doing the demo actually, <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah. I just love, love ripping it all apart and then let somebody else put it back together. And I just tell them what I want and they go at it. Like, but I have no issue getting down there, laying tile, laying floors. I, the only thing I really hate doing is taping and mudding and painting. Mm -hmm. Outside of that, everything else can be done. Um, I've gotten zapped a couple of times doing the electrical, but I always bring in the electrician afterwards. <laughs> but yeah. It's, so a, the, it's fun. Yeah. So you're the interim, uh, interim uh, contractor, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I try the to staff. GC. Yeah. I try to GC the deals that way I, I can stay on top of seeing, seeing what's getting done. And by GCing, you can save yourself 10, 15, $20,000, but you're going to yeah. be willing. Again, it's going to take a lot of time and it's not something you could do the very first time out. So some of my first projects that I did that were legalized is I bought a legal unit and I just did the, it was more of a cosmetic update. So it didn't have to do any major construction to it. Okay. It could be moving a wall or adding a wall, painting it, laying new floor, stuff that, that need, didn't need permits, stuff that you could just move on and clean up and add a lot of value to the property, even though, it was already legal. Yeah. Well, there's a progression, right? And I think a lot of people listening start out the same way. Um, I did too. You buy something legal that needs just cosmetic work. You don't have to do permits. Uh, you're not, it's not a huge undertaking. And then eventually you can work up to, you know, bigger projects. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, the, like you said, the bigger the, the, uh, the job, usually the more money is to be made in that job. And most money is made on the buy. Uh, today, everybody knows cash flow is slowly drying up. It's getting harder with real estate prices going up. 
rents don't go up as fast as interest rates or purchase prices. So you need to try and find a way to minimize your expenses and maximize that rent just so you can get cash flow. Mm-hmm. And to me, that the best way of doing that is putting a secondary suite in, not just secondary, but a legal secondary suite. Because with the legal secondary suite, I can then go back to the bank and ask for a refinance. They will only take the rental income if the unit's legal. If it's not legal, they only base the rental income on a single family home. So okay. I, that's one of the reasons I, I make sure everything's legal before I rent it out. Right, right. Yeah, that's important too. And, uh, and there's other reasons as well, like not just for the, I mean, that, that, that one helps, but obviously to be able to know that I guess everyone's safe, right? Oh, exactly. Um, but it's funny because on some of the ones out there, a legal unit might not look as safe as an illegal unit because it was legalized five, 10 years ago when the code wasn't as, as strict as it was is today, mm-hmm. but you still want to make sure it's safe. You'd, the last thing you want is someone to get injured in one of your properties, especially if it's not legal, because then mm-hmm. there's a lot more ramifications that could happen all the way up to not just being fine, but actually doing jail time. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I go and put my head to the, my pillow, I want to make sure I didn't do anything wrong that day and I'm everybody's safe in my properties. Uh, so Tom, we talked about your portfolio bid and, uh, and what that looks like. How do you get financing for all, the, all these properties then? Is it all yourself? Are you, are you working with partners still on, on some of them? I, I still joint venture on a lot of the properties. Um, the, the last two I just bought is with two new joint venture people that I just met up with. Uh, they're going to be coming in on the deal. So we're actually looking for a third one. I, I will go on title on some, but on generally it's my JV coming in is going to go on title. I will find either myself bringing the capital, they bring in the capital, or I'll find capital somewhere else. It's always a, a changing environment, as we all know. The banks constantly changed. When I first started getting in, into it, CIBC would finance unlimited number of properties. Then they got slapped by Fisco uh, two years ago because they did too many exceptions. So now they're only uh, financing up to five properties. So I maxed out with CIBC. BMO has now come up and they're offering, they'll do 10 properties. So I'm dealing with BMO right now. And then after that, I'll be heading over to Dealer Gen. They're saying they'll go up to 15. Mm, okay. And then, then I'll continue using private money as well. And also partners, I guess. Oh, oh, and partners, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of my, out of the 18 properties I have, only eight are in my name. And I was including one of the new ones that will be in my name. So over uh, 50%, well, close to about 75% of my properties are in my JV's name. Okay. Okay. And, and how does that look? That's just um, that you just have a joint venture agreement? It's a joint venture agreement stating that we're both owners at a certain percentage each. And it all depends on uh, what they're looking for. So I, before I just say yes to any joint venture, I want to find out what is their why of wanting to get into real estate investing. For example, if I'm joint venturing with a doctor, they're not going to care about cash flow. So I can go find a property that technically might not cash flow as well as another one, but will have good appreciation because they're caring more about 
appreciation down the road, not cash flow today. Now, some other people, they might be looking for cash flow. So I have to try and find a, a product that will work for them. And the two best products really that have the best cash flow are rent-to-owns and student housing. If they, they really need cash flow heavy, I'll look to get them involved in one of those type of, of my real estate pro, uh, properties. Because I've done both. I've done student rentals. I've done rent-to-owns. I'm looking at student rentals up in Peterborough. I and rent to owns. I'll do almost anywhere that makes sense. There's a decent appreciation happening. Okay. Okay. And you know what? It sounds like we're gonna we're gonna tell people how they can get in touch with you later. But I mean, it sounds like there's an opportunity for anyone that wants to get involved, really, for all different kinds of strategies. Maybe they can give you a call and have a discussion. Definitely. This I I'm willing to help them out any way they can. I can bore their funds. Hard cash, RSPs, if someone wants to qualify, make some money, they want to be just silent partners, they want to be active partners. Like I don't mind educating people on the exact process if they want to be hands-on. I prefer more of a silent partner because the last thing you want is five people deciding what color of paint you want. Mm-hmm. I, my paint colors are standardized. I don't even, I just go in and say, okay, get me five more gallons of Vercon. That's a light gray, I use white baseboards. So each one of my homes basically look the same when you go inside. I, I don't want people questioning, why am I buying brand new appliances? Why am I buying quartz countertops? Or why am I buying my, ca- my cabinets from XYZ store? I, I do it because there's a reason behind each one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the things like I, I put soft closing handles on all of my cabinets when I replace, when I do a new kitchen cabinets because I hate having that sla- the, the cabinet slamming. They cost next to nothing. The longevity of the cabinet lasts a lot longer. So it cost me maybe one to $200 to put soft closing hinges on all the cabinets. One broken door is $100. So I, that's how I look at it. If I don't have to go back in and fix it again later on, I'm saving myself money in the long run. Mm-hmm. And I'm making, I'm making my tenants happier. Same, same with quartz. Quartz over a laminate countertop, I'm looking at about 30% more in cost-wise, but 10 years down the road, I'm going to replace that laminate countertop. So now I'm actually costing me more money. And when a tenant goes in and sees that quartz, they go see a wow, and they're like, oh, I really want this place. Versus mm-hmm. they go and see laminate, they're going, mm, <laughs> it, looks, it, it looks okay. But it depends on the location too. Like If you're going to go into... Well, I invested in Hamilton. I definitely would not be putting quartz in that location. It's a, a, a depressed area, and I think the quartz would probably be an overkill. I'd have no return on it. Yeah, so you're saying, obviously, it's not, hey, we're going to renovate this through the roof. It, it, it depends. It's property specific to what you're going to do to it and why. And, yeah. uh, and, and I guess maybe someone that's looking to be more of a, more of a, like someone that learns would, would understand all this stuff eventually when they partner with you. Where do you see your business going in the future, Tom? Um, I'm looking to increase my portfolio this year, probably about by six properties, one, at, one every second month. Um, it's not that I really need to increase my portfolio, but half the fun of the real estate game and I, I like to call it a game is finding the deals and 
when I'm finding another deal, like this, I'm usually doing it with another joint venture. So it's really me helping them gain their financial freedom. And by doing that, it's increasing my wealth. But my goal is basically to help them generate their wealth. Because really, if you look at the look at it, you only need three properties to be financially free. I don't need any more, but it gets boring just sitting on the sidelines. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I, I'm, I'm out with you almost every second week. So. You were made. You were made for this, Tom. That's why. It, it, yeah. yeah, it's it's fun going out house hunting, mm-hmm. and you get to meet new people, interesting people. And you're gonna, and you're gonna and you're gonna get richer by helping other people get richer, right? Exactly. It, it, it's a byproduct, but it's nice to have. But that's not just my only goal. My goal is to help other people too. But mm-hmm. of course you're going to get uh, the byproduct and get, getting richer at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what advice do you have? What's a, uh, one of your best pieces of advice you could give for someone starting out in real estate? Due diligence and don't think you can do it all at the beginning. Cause you can't. Um, what I actually think every first time investor should probably do their first deal as a joint venture, learn from somebody else's mistakes that way you can springboard further ahead. Your second one, do you can do on your own. Your first one, I'd probably recommend doing it as a joint venture because they, they get to learn the ropes. And because I know most people when they're doing real estate investing, it takes them three to five years to get the first property. And if they're doing it by their own, it's kind of probably gonna take them another three to five years to get the second. But when you're doing it as a joint venture, you're going to get the first one in the first year. You're probably going to get your second, third in the first year. And say you only owe 50% of each one. You're still one and a half properties in, in your first year. In year two, you're probably going to pick up another two or three more. So you're actually further ahead and you get a larger snowball at the beginning because everyone, everything is time value of money. It's a compounding effect. Uh, the big thing like all financial planners talk about when they're buying mutual funds and RSPs, or it's the time value of money. How, how fast can you double your money? Well, we know in mutual funds and RSPs, your return is probably half a percent if you're lucky. At least in real estate, I know my return is at least 30% a year. I don't get out of bed if I'm not making 30% and it's leveraged. So you, by joint venturing with someone, you get to get that 30% a lot faster. To build on top of that, one of the biggest things that probably holds everybody back from starting is fear, right? If you've got like a crutch, if, or I don't even want to call it a crutch. If you've got that support, I guess, to so that you, you can move forward without that fear. Someone else that you can go, well, what about if this? I mean, I try to do that for clients, but do you know what I mean? Someone who's accountable as well, I guess. Um, for that property and then you can go to them and say what about this what about that like if you have somebody there that can support and understand and can build that confidence then you can move forward a quicker I would say you're right because when you first said that it's sort of it's one of those things where you go well wait a minute my first one is a joint venture like that doesn't really make much sense because uh, I, I would want to you know, learn by myself. I wouldn't want to spread. It's not necessary for me to get a joint venture partner right now. And how do I do that? That's daunting. But I think 
if people are reaching out to someone that's done it before and saying, hey, can we go in this together? That's pretty easy to find. You're not looking for someone to invest the capital. You're maybe splitting it down the middle, something like that, right? And that way, someone else that's with them is accountable the same as they are. And it really, really uh, relieves some of the pressure. Yeah, and you get to spread your risk. Imagine you have one property. It's your very first property. And you don't know how to write your ad. And professional tenants seek out new landlords. And that's the ones that usually have the issue that you hear about all the horror stories is they're a new landlord. They jump the gun. They're worried if the place is not rented right away and they'll take any tenant without doing the proper screening. Not saying it's going to happen all the time, but that's professional tenants look for that. They, they can, they scan the ads and they try to find who is a newbie I can take advantage of. And so if you get a non-paying tenant, if it's just, you on the title, you could be financially broke on that one property, but if you're only taking half that hit and you have a second property with that person, so really you have one property in total because you did 50-50, and if it's, we're gonna use a legal two units, so now you got four tenants. If one tenant's not paying, you can survive. You could weather that storm. But if you just have the one property and you got your tenant not paying, you could be financially broken. You're going to get out of the industry really quick. And look at anything that anybody learns. There's usually someone there teaching them. In school, you have a teacher. You go to university, you have a teacher. You have a mechanic. The mechanic's doing it. All of these people were taught by someone else. So why would you not think when you're going to real estate, you'd have someone else teach you how to do it? And that, mm -hmm. your teacher is your joint venture partner. And then move on from there. And that's... That's why I think if you do a joint venture, you're, you're further ahead of the game. Doesn't matter how many books you read, the books only teach you so much. <clears throat> Absolutely agreed. Yeah. And uh, why it just, yeah, just to, I don't know, I guess just to limit the risk. Like why, why put yourself in such a risky situation when you could benefit from the years and years of experience of someone like yourself um, or us that have done, right? I mean, why not, why not take advantage of that? learn the ropes and then go on and flourish on your own if you want, or just, or just keep doing it uh, with partners. Like even as a, you, when you guys are in your, doing your real estate uh, as an agent, you have your broker that's guiding you along the way to say, Hey, this is how do you promote your business. You, you're working for yourself, but you actually have someone helping you along the way. Got through a lot, a lot of good info. Oh, Tom. Yeah. I appreciate all of this. This is stuff that, you know, people pay for. People are willing to pay for this kind of information. We give it away here for free. So you're, you're, consider yourselves lucky. Everyone listening, consider yourselves lucky. Maybe consider giving back. I don't know. Sandy, you need anything? <laughs> need a car or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, I can take something. You want to send me a check in the mail? I'll take that. Or, uh, you know, I just, uh, I think, I think we, we want to see people uh, reach out to our guests and uh, find a way to, to connect with them and uh, maybe do business, maybe learn from them, whatever that looks like. So I, I'd encourage people to reach out to Tom. Okay. However that, however that is. Tom, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, I'm always on Facebook. So you can find me on Facebook under Tom Sullivan. And uh, I, I don't mind even giving out my email. My, the, the two emails that most people can reach me at is called is Tom Sullivan 55 at gmail.com the five five says of course stands for retirement for fi at 55 and my other one is this homes for rent at gmail.com and the four is the number four okay 
Beautiful. Well, thank you, Tom. Again, like I really appreciate this. I know that people are going to learn a lot. I like that we touched on uh, some of the downfalls as well this episode. So I think people will appreciate that too. And uh, we're not we, like Sandy and I've never claimed that real estate investing was all peachy, but, uh, but there are things that stand up in the way. We just choose not to focus on them as maybe a reason to quit. If you start to focus on all the bad things that can, I mean, oh, Man, like Tom, did we? How, what what fraction of the things that have went wrong did we actually touch on with your, your portfolio? Oh, <laughs> uh, almost none. And in reality, it, it's not. Um, you you will run into some obstacles, but every obstacle is easily to be overcome, and it's just knowing how to overcome them. Mm -hmm. and, so like you, you're going to run into a non-paying tenant, no matter how, how well you do your screening, you're going to find uh, you might have a couple of months of vacancy that you weren't planning for. So something breaks, furnace breaks. Like this year, we've had a crazy winter. We've had three furnaces break. But mm -hmm. none of those phased me because I already had a contingency plan for when a furnace would break. So it, it's just knowing how to mitigate your risk. Mm -hmm. but but there is a lot there's a lot of pitfalls that you can run into but yeah so they are out there there's just ways around them you just have to have the tools to get you around them yeah um yeah okay so everyone if you didn't catch tom's uh email addresses we're gonna have them in the show notes so yeah. just uh click on the link in the podcast for the notes and his contact will be there Thanks again, Tom. Really appreciate all the stuff you've shared with us today. And Sandy, people can get a hold of you. How? Uh, easiest is 289-389-6846 uh, or info at mckayrealtynetwork.com. Great. And people who want to reach out to me, um, we've been doing a lot of student rentals, legal student rentals in the Peterborough area. We've got, uh, I've been going to a lot of meetups where people are using student rental examples and I mean, there's some real cash flow to be made as opposed to these other places in Ontario. It's sort of an untapped market. And uh, I mean, there's two post-secondary schools up there. We've got uh, over 10,000 full-time students at, at those schools. So, I mean, there's a fantastic opportunity, some great prices. And uh, the city is really on board with the plan. So... Um, if you're looking to make some cash flow up in that area, you don't need to be right next door to your investments. I know Tom said he likes to be close to them, uh, but not all of them. Some of them are outside. So, <clears throat> you know, just uh, the easiest way to reach me is 289-927-0464. Or you can obviously reach Sandy or I at info at breakthrough So thank you and we'll see you next time.